Hello, I'm Mel. And I'm Steph. And this is East Asia for All, a podcast about the East Asian pop culture and media that you love. We're both working on our PhDs in Chinese history, but we also study and teach about East Asia in general. If you're listening right now, you, like us, probably also have an addiction to East Asian pop culture and media. Between the two of us, we've lived on and off in China, Taiwan, and Japan since 2007. So we're taking our love for East Asia, our experiences there, and the knowledge we've gained in the Ivory Tower, and making it available beyond our classroom walls. Today we're talking about a 1985 film directed by Juzo Itami called Tempopo. And this was actually your suggestion that we do this film. Why did you pick this film, Mel? So I saw Tampopo when I was in college and I I don't think I had ever even been abroad anywhere and I was getting ready to go to China but I was doing this orientation for people who were studying abroad in East Asia and it was run by the Phillips Ambassador program which is Oh that sounds familiar. Yes, the same <laughs> program that is funding us. And At the end of our long day of orientation, we had scheduled this film screening. And so, you know, it was just supposed to be like a fun ending to our day. And they showed us Tampopo. Mm -hmm. And I I don't even know if I had heard of ramen. I definitely (laughs) didn't know anything about Tampopo. I didn't know anything about Japan. I just, I had no idea what I was watching. And when I watched it, it was so unlike anything I had ever seen before. I just remember loving it so much, but also being so confused as to what was going on. And I have just always remembered it. And I really love it. What were other students' reactions to it? Because there are some kind of, there's definitely some quirky scenes, some risque scenes. Like I'm wondering how students reacted to this. Do you remember? I don't really remember, except I know that there was a group of students who had been studying Japanese and were heading to Japan. Mm -hmm. And they had this very jaded, cool air of like, oh, yes, of course, Tampopo. I know. I know all about that. And that just made me even more insecure. I was like, I don't know anything. <laughs> that so. wasn't, no, that was cool. That was not your, you know, feel. That wasn't where you were going. So, but yeah, I know that, that I'm cool. I know the cool Japanese stuff vibe. Mm-hmm. Well, so the plot, maybe we should say a little bit about the plot. So it's set in Japan. There are two truck drivers. They help train a recently widowed ramen shop owner to basically learn how to make better noodles, learn how to make better ramen. And even though it takes place in a ramen shop, it's actually in the style of a Western. Think, you know, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood. But the film is actually a lot more than just that. There's this main through plot line, but then you keep getting these smaller vignettes that are so loosely connected to the main plot point. I mean, really, they're just scenes that are happening nearby. They're not connected in terms of the plot at all. I love the main plot line, but I think that the little vignettes that aren't really connected to that are actually my favorite part of it. Yeah, they're so memorable. Um, And they're really complex vignettes and one of the themes besides food right this film is all about food but also it's really about upending hierarchies it's about switching around you know these kind of roles of power over and over again that's what so you know some of these vignettes like one of the scenes that I'm thinking about is there's this group of Japanese businessmen and they go to this really upscale French restaurant 
And one of them is obviously very, very junior. He is carrying all of their briefcases. And when he tries to sit down first, he gets yanked out of his seat by one of the more senior businessmen. Everybody at this business dinner, they take their cue from the most senior person to order things, right? So everybody ends up ordering the same thing after that first most senior person orders. But this bumbling junior businessman, it ends up actually knows a lot about French cooking. And he is ordering, obviously very knowledgeable and the whole time getting kicked under the table by his colleague. And so he ends up, the you know, the person on the lowest end of that um, order that hierarchy he ends up being the most knowledgeable and so I think it, that is really representative of this move that Tempopo makes over and over again always symbolized through food yeah one of the other really good scenes that really illustrates that is when the main characters go and meet with this group of what I would characterize as homeless gourmands <laughs> and eventually the scene ends up being that they they have this great knowledge about food and they're really good at cooking and they have these very refined palates. They are very discerning about quality. And in this scene, one of them takes the ramen owner's son to go make him an omelet over rice. Yeah. They break into this like restaurant's kitchen and he makes this amazingly delicious looking omelet over rice. But the whole thing is done in this sort of slapstick, silent film, almost Charlie Chaplin-like style. And that's, totally. that's the only time that that style is employed in the whole movie. Yeah. But that's another one of my favorites in which you have homeless people who are these fantastic chefs and know so much about food. What's so great about that scene too is they spe- they also specifically know a lot about French food. Yes. There's such a theme of French food, but also for that group to know so much about this very refined and elegant kind of cuisine, it fits right in with that theme too. Yeah, so then maybe it would be a good time to ask, what's your favorite scene in the whole movie, Mel? The most memorable scene or the, the most famous scene, I should say, from the movie that I think gets referenced a lot is the scene with an egg yolk. Yeah. That is passed between the mouths of these two characters who are not, not related to the plot. They're another one of these side vignettes, but they pass an egg yolk between their mouths and it is both very erotic yeah. and also extremely absurd. And it <laughs> is so wonderful. And so that's that's definitely, I would say, the most famous scene. See, that's what I wanted to know. Like, are, you're sitting in this room when you first watch it, right? With all of these, you know, young college students and they're watching these two people pass back and forth an egg yolk in their mouth. It just cracks me up. Even I wish I remembered that. the reactions. I do. I really wish That's I a do. great scene. That's a great scene. But my personal favorite scene is, of course, one of the vignettes. There is this little old lady and it's a scene of her in a grocery store and she goes up to the peaches and she starts to press them like (laughs) you would do to try to find out if it's ripe, especially there's a stereotype of older ladies being very careful about the kind of produce that they buy and she's pressing it. But you realize she's not trying to see if it's ripe. She just really wants to smush the food. (laughs) And so once the shopkeeper notices this, that she's just smushing his peaches He tries to run after her and then she runs away. But instead of running out of the store, she keeps hiding from him (laughs) to smush more foods. And it's just 
it's hilarious it's really hilarious she's a serial smusher a serial smusher yeah exactly. she knows exactly what she's mm-hmm. doing oh definitely <laughs> that's a great scene that's a really great scene my favorite scene another one of the vignettes it really is all about these these little side stories but this again this takes place in the same up, upscale french restaurant as the one with the businessmen earlier i was talking about and it's a etiquette class about French food. Maybe even Western food in general. Oh yeah, it might just be Western food. Yeah, it might not be French. I think they were talking about Italian food. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they were eating noodles. So maybe it was Italian food. In any case, um, the instructor is teaching them how to eat noodles. The stereotype in is that in East Asia, people slurp their noodles very gleefully and it's a sign of kind of appreciation. But in this class, the teacher is very, very explicit that all of the women in the class, because it's a class full of all Japanese women, including the teacher herself, she is very, very firm. You cannot slurp your noodles. This is so rude, not a sound. And as she's teaching them this, she's interrupted by this really loud slurping and the camera pans off and it's this foreign guy who you assume knows what he's doing. (laughs) And then when she has the class try, what do they do? They all emulate him and slurp the noodles. It's so... So hilarious just because she's such a stiff character and just feels so disturbed at this foreign man slurping his noodles. (laughs) That scene is also really good. The comic scenes are just perfectly done. And I really liked it because, I mean, obviously it's about Japanese food. It's hilarious. It's a comedy. And it really, it reminded me of some other things that I really love. So it really reminded me of Blazing Saddles. Tell us more. So <laughs> because this Saddles- is, I don't think a comparison that is often made. Although, I mean, they're both satirical Westerns. So. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what it is. There are these um, satires of Western films. Maybe that hasn't, you know, really come up yet in our discussion of Tampopo, but it's really, there are these elements of Western kind of cowboy films. And so it really reminds me of Blazing Saddles because of that, this satire. And it also really reminds me of this comedy duo that was really popular when I was in college, Ramens. They did this little short video series called the Japanese tradition and it you know teaches you how to do things like go to a sushi restaurant it teaches you how to bow and apologize appropriately or to drink tea and it's all this really deadpan hyped up satire of what is often you know Japanese culture is often presented as so hierarchical and also so elegant and so refined right and so specific and it just totally shatters that We'll link it in the show notes because those videos are hilarious and a huge part of my college experience studying Japanese. (laughs) I really liked the one where they're satirizing how to order and eat sushi. And they're talking about how to pour the beer. And um, (laughs) one person is supposed to constantly say, was it? Mama. Yeah, the person that's pouring, as you pour, you must, you must say, mama, mama. (laughs) (laughs) And then the person who's receiving must say, what? Oh, to, 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 exactly. To, to, yeah. To. So it's really, it really reminded me of those, those two. Yeah. What Tempopo does also is really bring up ramen. What's the history of ramen in Japan? What's the history of ramen in the United States? What role does Tempopo play in that? Because it actually does play an important role, I think, in both of those histories. For this episode, we actually found a really great book. 
Yeah, we read parts of this book, The Untold History of Ramen by George Soltz, who's a professor of history at NYU. And he gives a really good timeline of ramen history that gives you an idea of, you know, how long ramen has been around in Japanese culture in some form or another. This is not a food that has existed for as long as people can remember, but rather this is an import from China and it has only become really popular in Japan pretty recently. Yeah. It, this is contested, but Holt writes about how we think that ramen was introduced from China in the late 19th century. And that's when it kind of began. And it was basically the food of working class people. It was their lunch food. That's what it started out as. And it kind of remained that all the way up until the 60s, 1960s. And then... It's really in the 80s and the 90s, according to Salt, that ramen becomes this sort of national food. Salt says, quote, it evokes egalitarian nostalgia with an emphasis on craft over profit, end quote. Yeah, so it's kind of like a form of soft power, right? And and you really see that into the 2000s as ramen becomes more popular across the globe and Ramen is seen as a symbol of Japan, so you have Japanese soft power in, in a global way with food. There's this really, really great quote that Salt also has that gives us an idea of why ramen is something that we should pay attention to, thinking about its symbolic place in Japanese culture. So he writes about how it, can, it marks cultural loss. Because ramen noodles are not made out of rice. They are made out of wheat. So it's kind of a form of cultural loss. In post-war Japan, the American wheat, because there was so much American wheat, that's how you're able to make all of these ramen noodles. So it's you kind mean of like cultural post, loss. Post-World War II, exactly. the U.S. occupation exactly. of Japan. Exactly. And so you get all of this wheat. It comes into Japan. And so that allows to make ramen noodles with wheat. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And then preservation, preserving culture, because you are using noodles, you're not turning to bread, which would be seen as a very American kind of import, right? So there's still some preservation, even though they're wheat noodles. But labor, we already said that. It's a working class food, but also leisure. Because what do you want after a long night of drinking? Ramen. You oh, definitely yeah. want ramen. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, you know, we think now of ramen as something that is quintessentially Japanese. But of course, as we said, it is also derivative because it came from China. But it also shows Japanese inventiveness right, and how they have changed it to become something quintessentially Japanese. And I think those are probably my favorite points that he makes about why ramen is important and why it's interesting. And it serves as a great anchor for, for working through Japanese history. And I think that this point of it being at least somewhat derivative, and I don't want that to seem to have negative connotations, but throughout Japanese history, that often has been a sore point that parts of their culture originally came from China. Yes. Like Japanese language uses kanji, which are Chinese characters, although of course they've been modified, they've changed. And then we have ramen now too, and that you can say this about a lot of things about Japanese culture. This idea that there is something about Japanese culture that's derivative. I mean, there's a book by this art historian named Okakura Kakuzo that he wrote in 1904 called The Ideals of the East. And in this, he puts forth this idea that Japanese culture is not derivative, but rather Japanese culture is the pinnacle of Asian culture. 
other forms of Asian culture arrived in Japan and there they achieved their true greatness, which is sort of a partly a pan-Asianist view of Asia, that all of Asia does share some sort of common culture. And then also this Japanese exceptionalism that we have this shared culture, but the, the pinnacle of it is in Japan. And he has a quote, let me see. It has been, however, the great privilege of Japan to realize this unity in complexity. And here he's talking about Asian culture as a whole with a special clearness. And then he goes on to say, the unique blessings of unbroken sovereignty. That there have been no invasions, you know, and direct colonization, unlike other places in East Asia. Yes, it's not conquered. It has been isolated. And this has, quote, made Japan the real repository of the trust of Asiatic thought and culture, end quote. So, I mean, he really takes this as uh, something to be really proud of. This could just be a great move. Unfortunately, it's in 1904, and this is part of the ideology that is fueling Japanese expansionism and empire in East Asia. This would actually be a good time to plug our other episode, Grave of the Fireflies, which is about Japan during World War II and how terrible and devastating of a project that was. And and our episode on fascism, our mini-sode, yes. because I also want to add that a lot of white supremacists in the United States think that this is a really excellent argument for why Japan is a good model for an ethno state. Oh. And so this is a very common kind of idolizing Japan and its supposed racial homogeneity as a good trait. And I'm just laughing because it's just so funny. Okakura takes this really supposedly bad thing, this derivativeness, and doesn't go, oh, no, no, we're, we're not derivative. He goes, we're derivative and that's why we're awesome. Right. It's just so funny. <laughs> but we're the like, best. <laughs> yeah. <just laughs> protesting a little too much there. It's just it's a weird mental gymnastics, but it was very influential for a lot of people. I'm glad that you brought up the interest in Japan and the part of white supremacists because it's just such a good reminder. History is always relevant. Totally. <laughs> and coming back to Tampopo and how that's relevant and thinking about how Tampopo fits into this, right? Into this story of ramen nationalism and Japanese exceptionalism and that sort of thing. Um, it's really interesting because Tampopo kind of created this genre all its own that fit into it because we were talking about Blazing Saddles right. and Westerns, right? Some folks have called Tempopo a ramen Western, which is a play on the spaghetti Westerns, Westerns made in Italy by Italian directors. And interestingly, this is going to be a full circle. So Tampopo can be called a quote-unquote ramen western because it's a little bit a play on and a satire of the spaghetti westerns that you just talked about. But the first spaghetti western, which is also one of the most famous, is A Fistful of Dollars. Um, so this is by Sergio Leone and it was made in 1964. Starring Clint Eastwood. Starring Clint Eastwood, yes. <laughs> very <course>. young Clint <laughs> Eastwood, yes. Well... A Fistful of Dollars was basically an unlicensed remake of a Kurosawa film, Yojimbo, which had been made three years earlier. Right. Which we also highly recommend. And it's fantastic as everything from Kurosawa is. Right. But yeah, it's it is amazing that it goes totally for full circle and we just come back to Japan. Yeah. Who knew? I didn't know. So it's speaking into an important genre. It's satirizing a very familiar genre. And... We can also situate Tempopo within that timeline that we gave of ramen's popularity, right? So it came out in 
1985. And we said, right, the 80s and the 90s. This was the peak. This was when ramen became a Japanese national cuisine. It really is a satirization of this new reverence for ramen. Right. Which is something that, as Salt notes, sometimes gets lost by American audiences who watch this. Well, and we noticed this when we were watching it. The subtitles did not call the the soup or or the noodles any combination of the dish ramen because audiences would not know that. English-speaking audiences at that time in the 80s, it was not this global phenomenon that we see today. And so it was translated as noodles, right? So at that time, that's a marker of it, it just was not the global dish that it was. And so... We're satirizing ramen in this film, but then, as you said, it kind of serves to reinforce this i these these the fetishization right of the this dish and Japanese culture. So tampobo becomes relatively popular in the United States, and this is one of many things that is sparking Americans' interest in ramen. And so, as Salt says, when discussed by Americans, ramen was unable to escape the tampopoified language and fetishistic imagery that Itami had satirized and perhaps unwittingly standardized in his first and only noodle western, end quote. <laughs> it, is, it is a little bit sad that, you know, Itami was meaning to make a satire of this fetishization of ramen and it has become a sort of touch point for Americans who want to fetishize ramen. Totally. Yeah, I think about that a lot with the comedy clips I was telling, I was talking about the Japanese tradition. If you're kind of uninformed and you're watching these, obviously it is comedy. But at the same time, I still just anecdotally think that a lot of folks that I encounter have a lot of preconceived notions about living in Japan, Japanese culture, and how stifling and stiff and hierarchical it is. And yet there's still this interest in in Japanese culture that borders on fetishization so it's still there Mm -hmm. it's still happening and you know ramen is everywhere these days anything else we want to say about Tempopo we highly recommend it it's fantastic yes you should definitely watch it you should watch the uh, ramen's YouTube videos Um, apparently we should also watch ramen girl oh yeah starring Brittany Murphy this came out in 2007 and I haven't watched it yet, but this is sort of when ramen's becoming incredibly popular in the United States. It apparently has a lot of callbacks to Tampopo. Including a cameo. Yes, by the lead actor, one of the lead actors of Tampopo. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the film either, but in our research, we came across it as it almost kind of sounds like it's paying tribute to it. At the very least, it's making direct references to Tampopo. If and you've seen it and you would like to tell us about it, we would love that. I'm hungry now. I, I know. Want ramen? <laughs> don't don't watch Tampopo on an empty stomach. Oh, and and also we really recommend George Solt's book, The Untold History of Ramen. Very yes. readable. Really yes, fantastic. We do. All right. Thanks for listening. In wrapping up, we want to say a few words about our sponsors. We're a new podcast funded generously by the American Councils for International Education Critical Language Scholarship Alumni Development Program and the Phillips Ambassadors Alumni Award at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. If you like our podcast, 
You could really help us out by telling others about the podcast and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at East Asia for All or visit our website, eastasiaforall.com, for show notes and more information about the podcast. We're lucky that we don't need funding or donations right now, but we could use your support in getting the word out. Thanks. Thanks.